0: working our way through the book of Revelation on Sunday night, so this is part eight. Do you remember what I, there was a a, a feature in interpreting the book of Revelation that I said was the most important thing to remember? There's a feature in the book of Revelation that is like a key that makes the rest of the events more understandable. And I talked about, there are these Uh, three important sevens in the book of Revelation. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. We get these pictures of these three sevens throughout the book. And what I said at the beginning was, the key feature in understanding these things is remembering that the seven seals cover the whole age, the whole age, the whole church age, coming right up to the second coming. And then the seven trumpets, seven trumpets are comprised, contained in the seventh seal. And then the seven bowls, the seven bowls are actually contained in the seventh trumpet, in the seventh seal. Do you remember? I, I, it's kind of involved, but I said instead of seeing seven, and then seven after that, and then seven after that, see the first seven like this. And then it gets compressed. The seven trumpets see them like this, all leading up to the end. And the seven bulls see them like this, right at the very end. So all three sevens take you right up to the second coming and the end of the age. That's important because otherwise you're going to have a hard time figuring out why does the second coming take place three times in the book of Revelation? So you can't just pick sequences of events and say, well there, this must come and then that must come and then that must come. It's very hard to do that with the book of Revelation because... ...what the book of Revelation is... ...rather than a novel that reads... ...you know, you have the chapter divisions... ...but those weren't in the, the original text. So instead of going to chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7... ...what you have in Revelation is... ...events viewed from different perspectives. And I said it was important to keep that in mind... ...otherwise it gets very complicated... ...figuring out some of the themes. Digesting and proclaiming the good news... ...the news of God's coming wrath. I want to talk about that. There is a positive side to that as well. So we're in Revelation chapter 10... ...I'll try and go quickly. You all ready? Okay, good. 10.1. I'll talk about this text in a minute. Then I saw another mighty angel... ...coming down from heaven... ...wrapped in a cloud... ...with a rainbow over his head... ...and his face was like the sun... ...and his legs like pillars of fire... He had a little scroll open in his hand. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. That's really interesting. I was about to write and I said, no, no, stop. Verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land... ...raised his right hand to heaven... ...and swore by him who lives forever and ever... ...who created heaven and what is in it... ...the earth and what is in it... ...and the sea and what is in it... ...that there would be no more delay... ...but that the days of the trumpet call... ...to be sounded by the seventh angel the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So this is really strange. So now John's not just seeing a vision. Somehow, in whatever state John is in, he's, he's engaging, he's participating in what he's seeing. Verse 9, so I went. I went to the angel, told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told... ...you must again prophesy... ...about many peoples and nations... ...and languages and kings. Let's do a little quick kind of a recap, okay? We are right at the point between the sounding of the sixth and seventh trumpets... So remember, first there were the seven seals, the opening of the seals unfolds the course of this whole age, right up to and including the second coming of Jesus, and we looked at this, the span, the events of the seven seals, that whole history of this age, it's very comparable to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, where he talks about all these things happening, but the end is not yet, these are just the birth pangs, he said. Then we came to near the end of the seals, between the sixth and the seventh seal. Remember, John's given these two visions. These two visions, they kind of interrupt the flow of the revelation that he's getting. The two visions, the numbering, remember, of the people of God before the tribulation, the 144,000, we talked about that. And then the celebration, the numbering of the same crowd pictured after the tribulation, a great throng from every Tongue, tribe, and nation. And so these two visions are given to, to comfort the church. The people are are in some way sealed, marked, promised protection at the beginning of the tribulation. They're, they're all there at the end of the tribulation. And then the seventh seal. And that contains the blowing of the seven trumpets. So each of the sevens, remember, brings you right up. Seals, trumpets, bowls brings us right up to the very end of the age as these events pile up in speed, in intensity. The wrath of God being poured out at the very end of the tribulation, not the whole tribulation. Okay, so now here's where we are. We're reaching the end of the sounding of the seven trumpets in our study. Six have sounded, and you'd think, well, here's the seventh. But it doesn't work that way. In the same way that between the 6th and the 7th seal... ...there's that pause and those two visions... ...the 144,000. The great group from every tribe, nation and language... ...those comforting visions... ...they come between the 6th and the 7th seal... ...and in the very same way, it's a pattern... ...between the 6th and the 7th trumpets... ...there's this pause. There's a, a visionary interlude... ...coming at the very same place... ...between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. The first vision... ...there are several... ...the first that John sees... ...is that of a mighty angel... ...it's in those first seven verses of chapter 10... ...where he says... ...I saw... ...another mighty angel coming down from heaven... ...wrapped in a cloud... A rainbow over his head. Face like the sun. Legs like pillars of fire. A little scroll in his hand. One foot on the sea. One on the land. Calls out with this loud voice. Like a lion roaring. Seven thunders. And then the angel comes and invites, invites him to come. There's some wonderful truths in these verses. And I just want to take a minute. ...try and pull out some of them. So first... ...point number one... ...consider the reason for these visions... ...being given to John... ...right at this time... ...between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. There's a reason. There's a reason for these interlude visions... ...being given to John... ...and it's one that should like... ...I think close to our hearts... John was in exile for a very specific reason. Do you remember what the reason was... ...why he's in exile? We studied it in chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner... ...in the tribulation and the kingdom... ...and the patient endurance that are in Jesus... ...I was on the island called Patmos... ...on account of the word of God... ...and the testimony of Jesus. That's why he's there... So here's what, here's what John has discovered. He's discovered it's a, it's a risky thing to give testimony to Jesus. It's a blessing to receive Jesus. But it's always risky to proclaim Jesus. This was true in John's time. Think about it. Jesus... Jesus talked to the religious leaders, and Jesus said that they killed most of the Old Testament prophets. That's what Jesus said. They beheaded John the Baptist. They crucified Jesus. All but one, probably, of the 12 apostles, all but one were executed. And John, probably the last surviving apostle, he's on the island of Patmos because of his. ...apostolic work and proclamation. It's its a risky thing... ...to bear testimony to Jesus. And if you take time... ...to look carefully over the portions of Revelation... ...that we've already studied... ...you'll find in these letters, remember, to the churches that we looked at... You, ...you'll find the same repeated... Reference the same repeated warning about about staying faithful as witnesses to Jesus Christ. The church at Smyrna, Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? That you may be tested... For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. They're going to pay a high price for being faithful to Jesus. And then to Pergamum in chapter 2.13. Antipas, that that leader... ...who is so anti-gospel and anti-Christ... And so the church at Pergamum gets this message in 2.13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So this, at the heart of um, the persecution of Rome on the church. Where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas. Who was killed among you where Satan dwells church at Laodicea. Where Jesus himself is called the faithful witness. 314. To the church at Laodicea write the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness. Here's what else we know. We know as we continue through the book of Revelation. So John gets this vision. Right before the seventh trumpet sounds. And... And there's, there's this message from the angel to him. And as you work your way through the book of Revelation... ...you realize that persecution for bearing Christian witness... ...is not going to lighten up. It, it's going to get worse as the end of the age draws near. Revelation seventeen six, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints... ...the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I I marveled greatly. Just just think about poor John. He gets this vision. He's looking and he sees this great harlot... ...in the old King James. This, This representation. It's not a literal one woman... ...but this representation of this world's system... ...organized against Christ and his church... ...and those that bear witness to Christ... And like every other living thing, she needs food. And in this this vision, she's actually, it says, full and drunk with the blood of the saints, the faithful witnesses of of Jesus. Here's what I'm getting at. All of this background to say this, that these will not be easy days to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. she will be okay, don't worry about that. Not easy days to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Remember, Christians are going to be forced, we saw in earlier studies, to to declare themselves. There will be no incognito followers of Jesus. Everyone will be marked. Remember? Marked in some way. Everybody speculates. What's the mark of the beast? And how is God going to mark and seal his followers? We're not told, and that's not the point. The point is that That everyone will stand out more as the age draws to a close. You'll, You'll be conspicuously either against Christ or for him. There'll be nothing in the middle anymore. And John's given revelation of all this. He's going to be shown more events to come. He's going to be shown soon the seven bulls of the wrath of God. And so, he's being readied in these... Remember this little interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet. The same little break where John's been given these visions of a different nature. God in his mercy kind of recommissions John. John. And, and the message he's getting is, John, you're, you're really going to need to be fully committed in proclaiming my message. It's not going to be easy. Don't turn from the truth. There's more to come. You're going to see more visions. Don't waver. Don't compromise. After this, just be a faithful witness. Just like, just like I. Jesus says, I was a faithful witness. Every time you read your English Bible... ...and you see that word witness in the book of Revelation... ...that English word witness... ...every time... ...it's translated from the, the, the Greek word "martus." What, what word do you think we get from that? Martyr. Martyr. And so we're being reminded... You know, ...we think of witnessing like maybe standing somewhere... ...and handing out a tract. And, it, and it's fairly easy to do that. But what we're being told here is... ...as time progresses... And you just start to see little bits of this unfolding. I'm going to talk about it at prayer group time. Witness is, going to, witness is going to mean laying down your reputation, your pride, your standing with certain people, your acceptability. You might be called names. 200,000 Christians laid down their lives this year for following Jesus and they were executed. Witnesses. Point number two. The vision of this angel fits with the nature of John's assignment. This is one of my favorite angelic appearances in all of the Bible. And I want to talk about it for a minute. It's in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 10 where, where John says, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. That's a big head, right? A rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. You can't stare at it. Legs like pillars of fire. Had a scroll in his hand. Set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, seven thunders sounded. I know everybody loves it. I can't stand it. I can't stand those little tinseled angels in It's a Wonderful Life singing around the Christmas tree with Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Little tame angels, little wimpy wussy. This, you see, this is no tame angel. This is a real, vast, full-blooded, smoke-from-the-nostrils, lion-roaring, ocean striding angel it's an angel why? why does he get this picture? I mean angels don't always appear like this in scripture well think about all that John is facing with all the message he's called to proclaim this, I think this is the kind of angel John needed to see it's the kind we need to see We'd, we desperately need a much mightier picture of the power of, of heaven. I've told you the story. I know I've told you this story. Early in our marriage, when we got these little Christmas decorations given to us, and they're these little cherubs, these little like babies in diapers with wings on their back. And we put them up on our Christmas tree and I despise those wimpy little things. And that one evening, after renee had been out at the church, and I was left home alone, we were just having a coffee there in our little living room, and, and she began to stare at those little angels, and she grew real quiet, and a look came over her face that I've actually seen only a couple times since. And she went over and, and took those little... Cherubs off the tree like you'd hold a wounded sparrow in your hand. And to this day, no one knows what happened. But somehow, all those chubby little things had their wings broken off the back. It's just one of the mysteries of our marriage My own opinion is that angels are much mightier than their actual appearance usually would lead us to think. I know they don't always appear mighty and powerful like they do in John's vision. Remember though, we do know this. We know from biblical revelation that angels can transform into different appearances. We know that because Paul said even Satan, who's a fallen angel, can transform himself into an angel of light. What I take that to mean... You know, he can't press it too far. The Bible doesn't say everything. But at least it means... ...that they can suit their appearance... ...to different occasions and purposes. Sometimes they look just like ordinary people. Hebrews 13, 12 says... ...be careful about entertaining strangers... ...for some have entertained angels unawares. They didn't know they were angels... ...because they looked like ordinary people. Genesis 18... ...these three men, it says... ...came to Abraham and Sarah. Later on it's revealed... There's some kind of supernatural... ...angelic messengers. Mark 16 says the disciples... ...ran to the tomb of Jesus... ...was mistaken for an ordinary man. I think that suits... ...again, the the appearance of the angel... ...suits the purpose. I mean, who, who would have... Hung around at the tomb long enough to get the explanation from the angel if the angel looked like this revelation from this angel from Revelation 10. they would have just ran. So I think in their actual heavenly state, angels are much more powerful and majestic than we imagine them. So John's massive angel, he isn't there to entertain. He's, he's there to encourage. He's there to fortify the heart of this trembling, faithful witness, John. That in spite of all these hellish times, remember the demonic locust creatures we looked at last Sunday and the Sunday before, the 200 million horse-like creatures, the turning of water into blood. So in spite of all these things, John needs to know that God is still in control. That he'll bring his church through with power and faithfulness. Chubby little Cherubs aren't going to get the job done. That's the explanation of those following verses when you read 4, 5, 6, and 7. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. So we 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 don't get that And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth what is in it, the sea what is in it. There'd be no more delay. Stuff's going to start happening. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So John, he sees this mighty angel taking an oath that God is now going to act. Do you know what God's doing? He's answering the prayer. Remember the prayer of all those martyred saints in Revelation 6? Way back when he opened the fifth seal and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long... How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And and this angel in Revelation now says there's going to be no more delay. Why was there delay? Well, there was delay because God was waiting for people still to repent, but it wasn't happening. I get that, by the way, from Revelation 9, 20 and 21. Where it says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. Did not repent of the works of their hands. Did not give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Which cannot see or hear. They didn't repent for their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Their hearts weren't changing and so John's angel swears that, that the time has come. ...swears in the name of him, it says, who lives forever and ever... ...who created heaven and what is in it... ...and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it. There'd be no more delay. This angel represents the one who made the earth and the sea. And now you start, oh, that's why this big angel comes... ...with one foot in the sea and one foot on the land. He represents the one... Who made the earth and everything in it. And the sea and everything in it. John. You've seen a lot. And you're going to see more. Happening quickly. Drastically. John. Don't forget this. No matter what you see going on around you. And this angel is a picture of the fact that. All of this is under the control of the one who made the earth. And everything in it. ...and the sea and everything in it. Point number three. The sweetness and the bitterness of divine truth. We're almost done. We'll go quick here. 8, 9, 10, and 11 of Revelation 10. And then the voice that I heard from heaven... ...spoke to me again, saying, go, take the scroll... ...that is open in the hand of the angel... ...who is standing on the sea and on the land. So this isn't the angel talking... John John is standing there. He sees this. I don't think he would approach this angel on his own. That's my own opinion. I wouldn't. And so he hears a voice from heaven saying, John, it's okay. You can can approach this angel. Go go take the scroll that's in the angel's hand. So I went, verse 9. I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. I would like to have heard his voice when he said that. Uh, Please, if it's not... Could you, could you please just? He said to me, take it. John must have been surprised when the angel said, and eat it. Who, like, who eats a scroll? It's this vision, eh? It's this vision. There's all sorts of symbol, symbolic meaning in it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as Honey. Verse 10, and I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth but when I had eaten it my stomach was made bitter and and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is so fascinating. So John now becomes involved in the vision that he's observing. He's, He's a participant. He's active in it and he's told to take the ...the little book, the little scroll from the angel's hand... ...and he's supposed to eat it. And it was going to be sweet in the mouth... ...but then bitter in the stomach. Verses 9 and 10. And then... ...the activity of eating this little book... ...and the nature of its contents... ...sweet and bitter... ...they're tied in with John's fresh... uh, ...recommissioning... ...in his prophetic role... And I was told, verse 11... So as soon as as he's told... This will be sweet in your mouth... Bitter in your stomach... Now... You must prophesy... Again prophesy about many peoples... Nations, languages, kings... So there's something about this book... This scroll that John is told to eat... Sweet in the mouth... Bitter in the stomach... There's something about that... That's related to John... Now John you've got more work to do... More prophesying... Against kings and nations... ...languages... ...so, so what's, what's happening? I think the sweetness... ...of the little book... ...is obvious. There is a sweetness in the message. There's a sweetness in... ...hope of eternal life... ...through Jesus Christ. Remember? Remember the beginning of the book. It's the slain lamb... ...from the tribe of Judah who's the only one who can open the seals. Okay? That's the sweetness. We know how this whole story will end. And even in God's revelation of of these uh, tumultuous times, there's, there's this waiting for people to repent. There's the sweetness. Gospel sweetness. Hope. The bitterness, I think, as John is recommissioned and told he has more things to say, the bitterness of the book is just made so plain we don't have to guess. This revelation of Jesus isn't something just to be believed. It's something to be shared. It's something to be proclaimed. Verse 11, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And here's, here's what... Here's the picture John's getting. This revelation of Jesus Christ... ...as the only Savior... ...the Lamb slain... ...the King of Kings... ...the Lord of Lords... ...the coming Judge... ...this is not going to sit well with kings... ...and nations and peoples. There are all sorts of nations today... ...where if you got off a plane went downtown and started talking about Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the only Redeemer, you will be imprisoned or you will be executed. All sorts of places in the world today. Not here, not yet, but much of the globe is out from under the bubble that we live under in North America. This is, this is what John was told was going to happen. Kings and nations and leaders will not take well to being confronted with a truth that calls for gospel repentance. The world kills the prophets like it used to kill the prophets and like it killed Jesus. So, here's the issue of Revelation 10. As history unfolds, and we're later in the game than John was. you, You won't... You won't be able for long to to you know like riding a bike. You can coast when you're going downhill. are, Are you here tonight because your parents made you come? Are you here because it's nice to go out with friends after church? Are you here because you you come to this church because maybe something good will rub off on your children or you like the music or you like this or that? Sooner or later, sooner or later, this is John's message. You have to come to face the the bitterness of living out the whole word of God in this fallen world. You, You have to swim upstream. It will cost to plant the flag. It will cost to take a stand. So there's this interlude. Just like there was between the 6th and the 7th seal, there's the same interlude between the 6th and the 7th trumpet where, where John's about to get a recommissioning because the wrath of God is going to be poured out quickly, suddenly, drastically. And this vision of this great angel, and, and eat this book, it's sweet in some ways. We enjoy the hope of eternal life. It's bitter in other ways, and you better be ready for this. This is what the angel is saying. It is striking to me the way the book of Revelation repeatedly reveals... This is just one reference. There are about six. That even, even the ungodly, as, as they see these things happening... How, how could you ignore events like these happening? And the rest did, did not repent of their works of their hands. Revelation 9.20 They didn't give up worshipping demons, idols of gold and silver and bronze didn't repent of their sorceries, their murders, their sexual immorality. And what, what, what we're seeing here is stubbornness of heart is far more dangerous to the Christian than the tribulation. The real danger isn't the events of the tribulation, the wrath of God. The real danger is not being willing to repent. Getting to a place where, where you're, you're uh, not alert to the lateness of the times. Not alert to the reality of events. Next week we'll continue with, As things escalate and the wrath of God is poured out in the seven bowls. What I want to say now relates to... I want to kind of segue into this. So take your prayer sheets, okay? If you would. singing physicians, you can come on up. Go ahead. We pray about a lot of things and there's that list and I hope that we'll get inside there and you can cover some of those requests and, and, and pray about them. I think in view of the kind of study that we've had tonight, and in view of the the commandment in Scripture over and over again, that first of all, first of all, prayer be made for kings and those in authority that we may lead peaceable, quiet lives and and a furtherance of the gospel. You don't have to look far to see the kind of uh, cultural hardness of heart where... where, uh, Basic standards of morality. The the danger of praying about these things is people start to think you're just a one-trick pony and this is all you care about, and that's not the case. But but certain sins manifest what's going on in a culture's heart. I think of things like abortion. I think of things like same-sex marriage. And if you think I'm saying these are worse sins than any other sins, you're, you're not hearing me. I'm not saying they're worse sins. I'm saying, I'm saying they are particularly revealing sins of the way a culture can just say, I, I, I know what has always been the case about, about life and about God's creation of male and female and marriage and fooey on all that. We're rewriting the rules. That, that kind of attitude makes it hard... ...for the Christian church to proclaim the message of the gospel... ...which is so sweet in our mouths... ...but we're going to find increasingly that kind of culture... ...is going to make it a very bitter thing to proclaim Christ as Lord of all. It's going to hurt to proclaim Jesus when a culture gets that dark. Did I make that clear? That's what I'm saying. It affects us and our witness... I thought about that when I was thinking through this study. We need to, we need to pray in our prayer groups. You know, yeah, let, let's do pray for, for our government and our leaders. Thankful for their strengths. Pray for their sins and their weaknesses. Pray about those two issues in a particular way. But, make sure you pray for the church. God, it's going to get harder and harder for us to be faithful. Help us not to overestimate our strength. Help us to seek your face and rely on you. And and make us faithful followers of Jesus no matter what. I hope that's in every prayer group tonight. Make us faithful followers of Jesus no matter what.